Information risk management isn't new, but it seems to be gaining visibility as more organizations realize they cannot successfully achieve their missions and goals unless they adopt a process to safeguard their critical information systems and the data that are vital to their enterprises. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of InfoRisk Today and Information Security Media Group, and joining me to discuss current trends in information risk management are four experts in the field. They are Ron Ross, a senior computer scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. George Moore is the State Department's chief computer scientist whose responsibilities include risk management. John Carlson is an executive vice president at BITS, the technology policy division of the Financial Services Roundtable. And Rebecca Hurled is owner of Rebecca Hurl. Associates, an advisory firm that advises clients on a number of issues dealing with cybersecurity, privacy, information assurance, including the healthcare field. Uh, thanks for all of you for joining me. To get started, well, I'll start with Ron. What do you see are the hot issues in information risk management today? There are some clear trends emerging in the cybersecurity and risk management field that have been going on now for the past year or two. I think certainly the one that comes to the top of, of the stack is the movement from the federal government and our contractors to more of the continuous monitoring view of, of cybersecurity and risk management. We are transitioning from what used to be more of a static process to include our old certification and accreditation process. And we're now using automation and other techniques to understand what is the security state of our, our system on an ongoing basis so we can respond better to some of the very sophisticated uh, cyber attacks that are currently ongoing on our federal information systems, as well as those systems in the private sector. George, you want to take a stab at that? I think, Ron, get that on the head. Our job at State is to try to find ways to implement that continuous monitoring and provide the right balance between coverage of all the controls and timeliness of the testing to, to create an effective response. But in general, what we have to do is identify what we want the desired state of the system to be, what the actual state is, what the differences are, and then find ways to motivate people to bring the, the actual state more in line with the desired state. John, are you seeing something similar in the financial services sector? Yeah, I think with the, the wrinkle with the financial services sector is that we have to continuously balance convenience, access, cost in a risk management environment. Again, our firms, our financial institutions are providing products and services to customers. Uh, in a constantly evolving risk environment. Plus, there's the added addition of new technologies that are constantly being introduced into the environment to make that interaction more convenient, faster, or lower cost. So we're seeing a lot of new challenges with respect to implementation of mobile computing, continuous issues that we've had for many years with malware, and the advanced persistent threat uh, in terms of looking at some of the, the, the new threat environments. And certainly, last but not least, is the fairly extensive regulatory environment that the financial services industry has had in place and has accelerated in recent years in response to the, the financial crisis from several years ago. Rebecca, there's a perception among some that maybe the healthcare field is not as advanced as, as government and financial services. Are these the same problems or are there more fundamental problems when it comes to information risk assessment among healthcare providers? The problems go across all industries. I mean, when you think about it and look back, you used to come from an area where you had all your data in a centralized area and you had the dumb terminals that were not capable of storing data. Now, we have literally every day almost new technologies being introduced. We have more people handling the data at the endpoints 
and it's proliferating. We're having new types of storage areas, new types of endpoints all the time. We have new types of services that are involving increasingly more outsourcing. So we have many more entities than ever before that are getting access to data that you used to have in one little area or one isolated area that had a huge amount of storage. Now you have data in many different places. So when you're looking at the risk, of course the risks have multiplied dramatically because there's more areas for risk that exist now. With regard to healthcare, you're talking about an environment, especially with healthcare providers, where you have a much different type of, of risk than you have in other types of industries. And of course, every industry has its own unique challenges. But when you're talking about securing data in a hospital, you're talking about having data that's out there and you have patients that also might have access. You have visitors that might have access. When I hear or see written that healthcare's coming way behind, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think the healthcare industries, particularly in the provider area, they, they just have some unique challenges that some other types of industries don't have. Now, certainly, they need to address them, but I wouldn't say they care less about risk. In fact, all the providers I've talked to truly do care about it. They're just trying to keep up with all these new challenges that they face. Rebecca, you, you mentioned that there are more areas of risk, and maybe this question could be for all of you. What are some of these newer areas, if there are newer areas of risk? Is it something that's fundamentally changing about how, the way people look at information as it deals with their organizations, or is this just more things happening? Let me jump in on that one. I, I wanted to kind of dovetail on what Rebecca uh, talked about earlier. You know, one of the risks that we talk about in our uh, new 800-39 publication, it's enterprise-wide risk management, is the notion of complexity. And Rebecca was talking about the, the vast amounts of data that we have now being distributed across these multiple data centers with cloud computing and all the new things that are going on, mobile. And one of the questions I, w- I had uh, for George, John, and Rebecca is how are your organizations handling this complexity? Because we actually see this as being fairly debilitating with regard to implementing good cybersecurity programs. And one of the things we're trying to do is get a handle through enterprise architecture and some of our good uh, developmental techniques to kind of reduce the amount of complexity so our cybersecurity professionals can have a better opportunity to defend what we do have. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. This is John Carlson. I, I would first start, at least with our within, within the financial services sector, it really begins with a look at corporate governance structures and making sure you have the right uh, means for managing these risks. I think the next level really has to do with making sure you're structuring the right types of collaboration in order to solve the problems. Closely related to that collaborative point is you know, the need to have strong uh, supplier risk uh, programs because increasingly you're relying upon many different parts partners to deliver the, the products and services uh, either uh, behind the scenes at the back end or increasingly, as, uh, as one of the other speakers mentioned, from the device manufacturers that the consumer owns, that the bank doesn't own, but the consumer owns. Uh, and so we found some of the work that Vitz has gotten involved in has been trying to structure those collaborations with other parties to try to solve some difficult problems. Oftentimes that involves working with government agencies, whether it's a law enforcement agencies, in some work that we had done on account takeover uh, problems that we were seeing, particularly with uh, commercial account customers. So that led to 
an extensive amount of collaboration with merchants, with law enforcement, with financial institutions, and others to try to, to, to get a better handle on that problem. So you really have to look at it as, you know, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all solution, but a, a framework, in, at least for our sector, that is built upon, you know, risk management and, and trying to, to continue to provide the products and services in a way that is going to be cost-effective. Rebecca made the point that she felt that the health sector was more complex because the uh, information is out there with the patients and the providers on the front lines. But if you're you're doing financial transactions over mobile phones and you people doing them over the internet and at point-of-sale terminals throughout the world and at ATM machines out throughout the world, isn't that more complex and more out there with the public perhaps than even the health sector? Yeah, I really could not comment on comparing health versus financial services. I think they both have significant challenges with respect to access to information, protecting that information both in, in storage as well as in transit. There is a huge you know, chain that has to be involved and, and people that have to be provided with the authority to access the information based on a need to know as well as compliance with you know, numerous uh, uh, privacy requirements. So I think the challenges are, are pretty significant in both sectors. In the financial services industry, I think one of the things that's probably significantly different is the fact that we've had pretty robust regulatory requirements around security and data protection over many, many years. Uh, some of those even date to an earlier time in terms of oversight of third-party providers that actually goes back to some regulatory requirements from the 1960s. So you have this long tradition within financial services around uh, ensuring strong data controls, both behind the scenes, uh, scenes as well as you know interactions with the customer. Well, and if I could address the, the mobile computing aspect, too, I think uh, a lot of people may not realize that in healthcare, mobile computing is very widespread. And in fact, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of apps right now being promoted to doctors and nurses and other types of caregivers. There's all sorts of cloud comp computing services for healthcare providers not to mention the insurers. The mobile computing risks are pretty significant with healthcare in addition to all these other things. I do agree that that framework has to be very strong. And I would like to say there's three areas where I've seen over the years some very vulnerable areas in most organizations. Now, number one, oftentimes organizations like to look at this as a technical problem only. But in most of the breaches that I've seen and helped with, it really comes down to human failings or human lack of awareness. So that's something that organizations need to make sure that they have the documented policies and procedures in place that address the risk. But then not only do they have them, they have to have regular training and ongoing awareness because if your folks who are handling the information don't know what the policies are, don't know what the procedures are to follow, then how can you expect that they're going to be effective? So you need that ongoing education in place, and that's lacking a lot of times. So that really is a risk factor. And then for the third thing, it's sharing with 
so many other business partners now. And oftentimes organizations think that if they address their business associate risk within their contract, they don't have to worry about things. But you really do need to have ongoing monitoring of those business partners that you've given access to, you've entrusted with your data. And so that's something I've been working on a lot is creating some ongoing monitoring tools to help have oversight for these types of business associates. You make reference, Rebecca, to ongoing uh, monitoring. Uh, there's a term, obviously, that NIST uses and is very successful at the State Department on continuous monitoring. Now, one may be different. One may be dealing with the IT systems. The other may be with individuals. Can you all address perhaps this ongoing monitoring of the people as well as the continuous monitoring of systems and how that sort of jobs? With State, we implemented a continuous monitoring program for people before we did it in for about the same time we did it with technology. Uh, we call it security tips of the day. And basically every time someone logs in at either U.S. Agency for International Development or State, they receive a sound bite of security information and are quizzed on it once a day. Normally those questions are sort of routine procedural things like Rebecca was talking about, but if there is an emerging threat, we have the ability to push out the same content to everybody in the organization within about 24 hours to let them know of emerging threats and there are things that are seasonal or, or something you know timely uh, type information. But that's incredibly important and it our system works mostly at the general awareness level, but one needs the same kind of training for people who have special security roles as well. This is John Carlson. I, I would further add to that. I mean, the, the theme of ongoing monitoring is, is really critical in financial services. As, as many of us go through you know, our holiday shopping this time of year, anytime you use uh, your credit card at an unusual supplier or an unusual kind of chain of transactions will oftentimes trigger some sort of security or anti-fraud, you know, measure that, that sometimes will escalate to the point where the, the the credit card company will actually call you to verify to make sure those transactions are legitimate. Uh, so you see that at the retail level in terms of looking at you know, trends and fraud that, that may be suspicious. Uh, you certainly have the requirements for financial institutions to know their customers. That's embedded in a number of different regulatory requirements. Probably the most significant was the USA Patriot Act around trying to detect um, you know, anti-terrorism or anti-money laundering type activities. And then last is the authentication requirements, which have been a focus of financial regulators on a number of different occasions over the last decade in terms of constantly ratcheting up the requirements uh, for online authentication, uh, particularly in light of the, the changing risk environment. So the ongoing monitoring, to my mind, is really a response to the changing threat environment and the need for organizations to implement stronger controls in response to the capabilities of either adversaries, whether they're foreign governments, whether they're, they're fraudsters, uh, whether in the United States or increasingly overseas. And those are all very important controls in the security space. I wanted to pick up on what both George and John talked about. I was glad to hear at the State Department they were focusing on the people uh, part of the problem, too, as well as the, as the technology part. That's really a critical aspect of, of continuous monitoring, as, as Rebecca indicated earlier. Uh, in our, our publication, the, the brand new one that just came out on continuous monitoring, it's 800-137. We talk a lot about monitoring what we call the three tiers of risk management. To include uh, Tier 1, which is the governance and the um, 
the kind of where the risk management strategy is formed at the organization level, uh, down through tier two, which is where the enterprise architecture is developed. And then at tier three, as George talked about, um, a lot of the work at State Department now uh, at the system level, making sure the, the automated monitoring of controls occurs. But there's an awful lot of monitoring that goes on beyond the technical side as everyone's talked about. So understanding the current threat space and how things like the organization governance is set up and things like the enterprise architecture, how all that is unfolding, we can learn a lot by having risk-aware processes that allow us to take the information that we get from the the threat data and then use that uh, to actually re-engineer certain missions or business processes that are more susceptible to cyber attacks. And with that, possibly modifying enterprise architecture. So the systems that we produce at Tier 3 are a lot more defensible. They're more resilient to the cyber attacks. And that necessarily can't always happen, you know, when you're only working at, at the Tier 3 level. I'd like to offer that I think all of those things are, are excellent and definitely needed. And I guess to just give an example, some of the things that I've been doing, you know, I mentioned all of those audits I did. Now, what I found was in almost all the small organizations and most of the medium organizations, a big problem is the fact that they don't have anyone on staff that knows anything about security or privacy or compliance, or they have someone who's doing it that really isn't doing it to the to the level that's necessary. So what I'm doing with my services system that I've created is actually creating this governance program that you talked about, where um, basically the system has the policies, procedures, and based upon what I learned in creating security and privacy management program, all the tasks that they need to do, like a work plan. So basically, we have oversight over these small and medium businesses, and as they're going through and modifying and customizing their policies and procedures and performing the tasks, the system tracks it all, and so it logs all the changes, and it, it requires that they get approval of an expert in security and privacy of their policies and procedures, and then what's really nice is if they ever need to be audited by their business partner or by someone who's coming in for a regulatory review, all of this documentation, including their policies, their procedures, their ongoing tasks where they say exactly what they've done with regard to security and privacy and risk management as one of those things, is right there. So they can give read-only access to an auditor so they can look at all of this documentation. And I think that really helps them to understand what they need to do better. And it helps to make it much more transparent to anyone who is reviewing their program so they can see exactly what's going on with regard to their risk management program. That sort of system for at the governance level is very valuable. One of the issues with continuous monitoring in a a medium or large size organization is the huge volume of data that it produces. I'm sure John has dealt with in the financial sector, and he gave a good example when he said that some of these indicators of fraud raise things up to one level, others raise them to another, and others might raise them to a level where they call you to find out if it's an issue of fraud. In any kind of continuous monitoring program, it's essential to have something that automatically analyzes the risk, not requiring a human to do it so much, and pops the larger problems to the top so that they can be dealt with first. And and that's really a critical part of these systems. 
That's George Moore of the U.S. State Department. We'll hear more from George as well as Nis Ron Ross, Bits John Carlson, and Rebecca Herald of Rebecca Herald Associates in the second and final part of our conversation on information risk trends in the coming year. For Info Risk Today and Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.